Imogene Chase, Greg Hopwood, Jason Castagna, Raphael Phillips, Luca Nemalato. All are concept artists for film, television, and video games. And who better to evaluate the mental health of Hollywood than the people who actually do the stuff, build the things, and are directly involved in how the sausage is made. First, how do these folks hold up under the pressure of being independent and creative souls while making a living? How do they manage insane requests such as make the pants look more pantsy or to retouch something for the 10 millionth time? We also look at some basic questions such as what makes a film work in the first place? Is it really about a unified vision or is it just lightning in a bottle? Lastly, we get into a heated discussion around the recent introduction of AI technology, which appears to be threatening the livelihoods of artists such as these. So is AI a form of theft? How will it affect the film, TV, and video game industry as far as young concept artists trying to break into the field? How will it change the way film and TV are fundamentally made? My name is Benjamin Russick, licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What To Do. So today I am here with five fabulous members of the, what industry is this? Someone tell me. Let's call it the entertainment industry. Collectively, we have traditional artists, we have digital artists, we have digital 3D artists, we have people who have worked in video games, we have people who work in television and film and costumes. Creature design. I mean, it's we kind of span a few different boxes. Do you guys all do costumes or not? I'm not really clear. We have all done costumes. But you can do all sorts of cool yeah. stuff. So let me just go through you, each of you. I'm going to start with uh, Luca. I'm going to pick on you first. What do you do for the Hollywood machine? Well, I'm a, as a concept artist, I span into working on creatures, characters, costumes, props, some environments, some keyframing, uh, okay. sometimes some storyboarding. So as a concept artist, you basically design for all these venues, working on video games or a movie or a TV show and so on. Do you, are you the guy that designs the little weird NPC characters in the video games? That Yeah, or the monsters that you're trying to kill. Yeah. So if someone kills you, the creator of all the monsters, do yes. all the monsters die? Yeah, there's no more monsters to be seen <laughs> Okay, cool. All right, thank you. I'm going to move to Jason. What do you do? Same thing. Professionally concept artist. Uh, worked in video games, animation, film. And then I kind of specialize in keyframes, environments, character design, pretty much I, just everything that you want to do. And what are some major things you've worked on? I mean, I think my biggest and one of my best achievements, I think, was Red Dead Redemption 2 for Rockstar Games after leaving Rockstar. I've been mostly focusing in films and, and just in the, in the motion picture industry for recently. And I forgot to, Luke, I forgot to ask you that question. What's some big projects you've worked on that people would recognize? I think the most, most recognizable one will be The Shape of Water. And then most recently, J Jungle Cruise, Black Adam. Yeah, movies like that. Yeah, Luca designed the creature in The Shape Ooh, of Water. Wow. Well, helped. Help to designing. It's, Help it's, it design. was a good You know what? I'm just going to say Lucas. Luca, yeah, Luca, made the, Luca made it because that's awesome. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> I, I want to get you in trouble. That's the whole point of this podcast is to specific. get everyone in trouble. And so we all lose our jobs and we go down in oh, flames. Raphael, what's... It's ha it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's we're it's used happening to it. anyway. Raphael, it's all what, right. what do you do? I basically sculpt characters for games, movies, costume design, and collectibles. That box he just showed us is the Black Panther statue that he sculpted. So for those of you who don't know what Imogene is talking about, he has a box in his office that's large and black. Sorry. And what are some large, some major characters, some major projects you've worked on? 
gosh. Um, Make yourself sound as cool as possible. Red Dead Redemption, uh, a little bit of Moon Knight. Okay. Coming Creed 3. Excellent. And Grug. So Grug has misspelled his name. It's actually Greg, but it says Grug on his screen. So Grug, what did you... What is he, what do you what do you do? I am a concept artist. I have worked in a few different industries. I was in the fashion industry prior to film. I was a PA for a number of years, working in a bunch of different departments on set deck for locations. Then I moved into costumes. I was a key costumer, and then I was an agent and dyer, and then finally landed okay. where I am today. And what are some major projects you have worked on? I have worked on things like The Boys, Birds of Prey, Titans, Superman and Lois, um, a bunch of DC stuff. Yeah. I like the first, the first two seasons of The Boys were good and now it's not good. No offense. (laughs) I just, once the guy like walked into some dude's penis and exploded, it just, I I turned off the television. I'm like, I can't do this. This is too strange. It's too postmodern for me. I just couldn't handle it. That show it. is definitely not everyone's cup of tea, but uh, <laughs> the show's popularity is has honestly taken me by surprise. I like the e- the evil Superman trope is really f- kind of funny. Well, Imogene. I know Imogene because Imogene is the fiance of my good friend Felix, whom I did a podcast with about artists. Imogene was supposed to come and she didn't because she decided that she didn't want to and she wouldn't tell me. Nobody (laughs) told me, so she didn't come. I will never live this down, will I? Not, not, well, you kind of are today because you gathered all these fabulous people together. Just so you know, this is a measure of what it takes to live something down with me. You have to really dish it up big to get back into my good graces, which you're doing. So Imogene, you, what do you do? You're welcome. Um, I do essentially what Greg does as well. I work primarily in costumes as a concept artist. I've been doing it for quite some time. I also dabbled a little bit in doing clay modeling for automotive design. But yes, I mainly work either in costume department or viz dev studios as a concept artist. And what are some major projects you have worked on? Um, let's see, I've done a few Marvel shows, uh, notably She-Hulk and She-Hulk. Hawkeye. See, coming up, I worked on the film Madam Web, which is supposed to come out in a year or so. Master of the Universe, Spiderwick Chronicles. So by the way, folks, I will send all of this to you a rough draft and you can cut Great. anything you want from it. Okay. Every time Jace speaks. You yeah, mean. basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Why is there so much hate against Jason? <laughs> What's going question. on? That there's this I mean, thing Jason by the group. I'm, I'm here for it. I mean, you seem like a nice enough guy. I mean, you don't have a lot of hair, we but no, it's uh, we, we do tend to joke around a lot, uh, and I and I tend to uh, not pull punches. I haven't heard you say anything so that's, far. You've just been punched. Well, yeah, and you know what? That's fine too. I think a lot of times when when we meet up, I think uh, you know because we do work a lot of hours, we do sit at the table a lot. You know, we just try to keep it light. I think, and and I think whether it's just joking around, like that. Uh, busting yeah, each other's chops, it's just. Uh, and good fun to get through the day sometimes. I mean, our version of good-hearted fun is a lot of other people's nightmares, so. Okay. Yeah, okay. fairly well. <laughs> all right. Anyway, I have my email in front of me that I sent all of you. We did your sort of overall role, and we could do the boring stuff like what led you to pick this career, but who really gives a We've shit, We've all really? told that story about 45 times. Yeah, who, it's boring. Times. I don't care. <laughs> what hoops you had to jump through, what your big breaks were. I don't know. I mean, we can get into that unless it was something really... Did anyone do anything really cool and weird to get into the field? Like something really like, like I can't believe I just did that and now I can't look at myself in the mirror type shit? <laughs> no. Uh, I, I kind of accidentally moved to California. 
Yeah, that's a problem. From where? Yeah, from Georgia. I was working in Georgia as a PA and uh, had just gotten in the union and was building my whole life there. And my friend was like, I need to drive my car to California to work on the Pee Wee Herman movie. You want to come with me? I was like, sure. Fly me back and I'll keep you company across the country. And basically came out here, met a designer I'd worked with and never went back to Georgia. I had all my stuff put on a pallet and my car put on a pallet in Georgia and shipped everything. I literally oh, wow. never went back. So I kind of moved out. That's, that's accident. a good story. I essentially had to move to New Zealand and get a job over there in film to sort of kickstart my career. Oh, what did you film? <laughs> like sheep or something? Like what was... Yeah, basically. No, it was sharks. Sharks. Was Jason, I can't believe that was Jason almost correct. Jason Statham punching sharks. All right. So you do. Have you all read the email? Have you all read the email? Did you read my email? I did. Would yes. anyone like to start with anything in that email? Um, I need a refresher. I don't think they read the email. I did. I, Absolutely. I think every single one of those questions, if answered brutally, honestly, would get each of us in a lot of trouble. Good. That means I was doing my job. Let's just, I'll pick one. What do you guys wish people knew about the industry? I'm kind yes. of thinking of, have you all read Kitchen Confidential? Start, I'll start with an article he wrote for The New Yorker. Anthony Bourdain kind of made him, made him famous. And then he wrote the book from the article. Yeah, and the article really book, exposed, yeah. like, you know, how what you know three-day-old fish and all the little tricks and all the crap and all the horribleness so that's kind of what i'm interested in I'm kind of doing kitchen confidential for hollywood because why not so what do you guys wish people knew about yeah. your industry everybody's a moron everyone's a moron <laughs> every single i was gonna say something very okay. similar there are so many decisions that are made that seemingly have no intelligence behind them but millions of dollars can you give me an example of some decisions that don't make any sense? It's just like the notes. The notes that we get, regardless of the specifics, sometimes are just painful to deal with. I, I have once gotten a note after spending 10 hours working on illustration, making it beautiful, making the lighting look great and the clothing all painted and rendered and, and getting a note that says, make the pants look more pantsy. That's Really? Like, that that's was real. an actual note? I got months of that, months and months and months of the jacket needs to be more jackety. Uh huh, more jackety. What do pantsy pants look like? Oh, that's a great question. I spent about three months trying to figure that out, and I don't think I ever got a straight answer. But uh, but uh, did you eventually get it? Did you eventually get it right? Stuff was turned in, whether it was right or not. Honestly, sometimes the people you're working with defy logic with how a normal conventional conversation you think should go. And sometimes you just get into a realm of not understanding what's happening on any basic level. But, uh, you know, we get, we get a lot of ridiculous notes that require interpretation of high magnitude. I mean, if I may, I think, you know what, the origin of the problem will be that you think as entertainment industry, everybody's an artist that works in that industry, but most of them are business people. And we don't get to interact with that many artists, actually. So most people don't know, even know how to talk to us or how to talk art. So that's how we get the, that frustration and we get those weird notes because we are dealing with people that they're supposed to be artists, but they're not, and they're in art, an artistic industry, which you will think it is, but actually it's not. One of the other things that I think is one of the issues that which people should know is that how badly people do deal with budgets. Because a lot of the time people are, you know, producers or whatnot will make budget cuts and make you know monetary decisions that are actually going to end up costing more in the long run. 
and end up screwing the pre-production process. I'll, I'll actually chime in on that. If you actually really take a look at what we do, whether it's film or video games, it's kind of the same problem. I think where you run into more issues in film is each film is essentially a micro business. You're constantly, as a producer, having to bring together teams, bring together actors, bring together all of these things, turn it around. It's It, it can get really messy making those as essentially a pop-up business. They'll have a count on these movies for years to sort out who gets royalty checks, who gets all of these. So they are quite messy. Rather than, say, if I'm working in video games, which is with, with an established company, they have a team that has a, has a rapport, has a method. So there's a lot more stability. With that said, I will say walking into film, I've never seen so much, so many people shooting themselves in the <laughs> foot, making something that's actually very, it's, it's really difficult to make these things. It's very difficult to make a, a film, let alone one that's going to become a hit. You know, I've, I've been on projects where I've, I've read some of the best scripts ever. And I'm not going to say what movie it was. And I love reading scripts. And it came out and it was fucking horrible. So it's just a lot harder business to deal with. And that's kind of one of the reasons I think why. It's high cost, uh, high, high risk, high reward um, industry. And you're often given notes and everybody's trying to do the best job they can with the best information they can, but constantly having to deal with whether it's egos or, um, you know, just trying to get the job done meeting, trying to work with people, uh, you know, it's, it's just hard because you'll meet somebody, you'll work with them, you'll go on to the next job. Does anyone else have any outlandish examples of that? Of the shooting yourself in the foot? It's on every project. It can be found every, everywhere. I mean, even talking about what Imogene was talking about, the budget thing is always really interesting when productions go, we need, we need to cut $50 million out of this film. And you're like, okay, well, realistically, what's going to happen is you are going to cut back on your labor, which is going to cause ma major issues where it's going to log jam everything up to a deadline of shooting that is impossible to hit those deadlines. So what you're going to end up doing is last minute throwing extra, even more money than you would have spent in the beginning into overtime, triple time, golden, all, all these penalties of people working late into the night in order to achieve the same thing. So it's you watch it over and over and over again to the point where it's you know what's coming down coming down the pike every time they start making those decisions. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Amadeus. It was made in the eighties about Mozart. And there's this amazing scene where this guy is like saying there's too many notes and he starts ripping p the pieces of paper out of the thing. And then the dancers are dancing and there's no music because there was too many notes in the, um, in the, in the thing. Do you guys have any examples like that of just something you saw that was just really like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was on a project three years ago where the designer, she was not vibing with people because of the style of the artwork, but we were not given any direction. We're just kind of throwing stuff up in the air, doing our best. Turns out this person is not only not submitting all the artwork, but not even giving the client what they want. And I saw a previous illustrator that was on it months before I, I was and their illustration looked exactly like mine but <laughs> I, I just heard it and so it's like you know in this whole process like the too many notes thing you're getting notes like no shadows what does that mean everything has a shadow it, it, it's and it's because there in, there's incompetence coming from both levels you have the incompetence coming from your direct boss who she he was was nuts and then you have the incompetence coming from the studio 
because it's all awesome. And the problem with this is that you're always held up to actual great works of art, which is any great film, which the really good ones are either there's a lot of luck involved, then there's, you know, a lot of time. So let's say like a really great film. They probably had a lot of pre-production. Everything was working maybe at its best. And then they're just like, okay, let's replicate that formula except now you have half the time. And that's the thing that's interesting about this whole industry is that you are trying to control a creative process that there's no real science for, but you're trying to make up a science for it. You're trying to make a mathematical equation for a hit, and there's no mathematical equation for a hit. And from that, you get craziness because you're not even dealing with people that can understand yeah. or hear the notes. So what makes a film work? Uh, you said lots of pre-production. Like what makes something like Severance, which is so fucking amazing, I can't stand it and I watched it twice. I don't know, work. man. I'm telling you, I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, you think you think it, you, you do? Go get it, man, because I, I have no idea. Luca, no, Luca has I an idea. It does go down, when you see a successful movie, it goes down to successful leadership. When somebody, one person has a vision and they let him, let him, him or her do his vision and follow his vision. Let's say a director in that case will be respected enough to be left alone and make his choices. And he's the only one making choices or, you know, to a fair degree. It sounds like that be- makes a better product. You're following somebody with an idea, with a vision of it that can guide everybody else. But when things are made by committee, which he's done a lot in this industry, the vision is lost, that is no vision, and everybody wants to just justify their paycheck or justify their position, and you end up with a messy storyline, messy movies, and you can see that it's been done by a group of people and not one person with a vision. Right, so many people need to be appeased, like the producers who are, you know, shelling out their money to be appeased, merchandisers need to be appeased, all these different people need to be appeased, essentially, and that creates a mess. What I honestly could say is that exact sentence or that exact description of what you just said contributes to a successful project. I can give you an exact story of that exact situation causing an absolute disaster. The assumption that one person's vision is dictating the entire production is a good thing is dangerous because you put any of the people who don't actually know what they're doing or just have a bad idea, that thing falls apart. There was a superhero TV show that never made it to, never actually came out. And this is years ago. And basically that exact situation of someone at the helm taking it in a direction that Basically, when, when, you, when you work on a superhero project or anything that has an existing IP, meaning it, it comes from comic books or what have you, if it exists prior to the project you're working on, you have an entire source material to pull from. I had a, a production that was so fervent in their direction to ignore all of the source material and pretend as if it was an original story being told that generated a product. It was meant to basically to bring in a group of people who loved this IP. And when they set off to make it so aggressively unique that didn't look like the original IP, it didn't target anyone who actually liked it. The studio realized prior to releasing it that they were like, We asked for a project about this character because everyone loves this character and you created something that 
doesn't look anything like this. And it ended up being shelved as a result of it. And I honestly, if I can say, I think it's lightning in a bottle sometimes. It is a series of random events. It's a full moon. Someone, I can't even begin to explain. It, it seems completely at random, completely at random sometimes. Sorry, if I may to defend my point, my scenario is the only scenario, though, that will create something good. In the other scenario where then there is no leadership and no vision, I don't see that creating anything of that of great nature. Sure, you can have a bad vision and create something bad, but there's only one scenario where you can create something great is having one uh, one vision. There is uh, uh, Tell me a movie that has a bunch of people contributing that is amazing and that is striking. That is not the fruit of one person's inspiration and leadership. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, you're going to have a director, you're going to have the DP on set, you're going to have all of these people and they're all going, you have the editor, sometimes directors edit their own stuff, sometimes producers slip in there. No matter what, you would have to know, this, see the sausage being made. And the way that I'll say that you can go and disprove that actually, because I don't think you can actually prove it, is to go and look at any, you know, great director, because you have to go with a great director that has a strong voice, right? Because that's who you're saying controls the vision. And you can look at their IMDb mm -hmm. and nobody's 100%. Right. So we can go, huh? Like there's I love Wes Anderson. Don't necessarily love all of his movies. Right. Again, great vision. But I, I think at the end of the day, it's like you can go and see that. But for us to know, you know, oh, this this director, you know, he was the vision. We don't know because there's some producers that are behind them that have some really strong voices in actually making these films. You know, I can think of a couple producers who I'm like, man, that guy bring, brings it every time with every director that he works with. You know, so I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I don't think it's 100% accurate. It's not the rule every single time. I mean, I was dating this, yeah, I was dating this guy who worked in special effects and was working on one of the many DC television shows right back when it fully started. And one of those shows went on to have several seasons and was considered a success at the time hearing how that project was run by a group of very young producers who had come into a lot of money, a cycling of directors coming in and out, people who were being brought in from all over the place, scripts that were a mess, productions that were blowing through deadlines and over budget and just creating all this chaos, generated a TV show that was very widely liked that went on for several seasons. So it's also a very subjective thing to say, like, what's a good project, what's a bad? Because even now, more recently, I find myself being critical of projects that are massive box office, office successes. And it's one of those things where it's like, even amongst us, we have conflicting ideas about what is a good project and what isn't. So Ultimately, at the end, I think the Hollywood base minimum standard for a good project is something that's able to get a project into theaters or onto streaming services. Like the bar is pretty low in terms of like you actually made a functioning project. Sometimes I don't even know how they get that. It feels like a bunch of kids at camp. It's essentially to put what on it is. Theater project sometimes. <laughs> well, interesting point. It is. Lucas point too. Like you can look at you know something that a movie that we all love that was critically acclaimed but didn't make money. So is it successful? I don't know. I mean, I, I would say so. Yes. Have you guys heard of um, Adventures in the Screen Trade by William Goldman, the book? 
I think it was written in the eighties, but he is a fa- he is famous for saying when it comes to Hollywood, nobody knows oh, yes. anything. <laughs> oh God. Yes. And he writes it, he writes it in all caps and he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. That bears repeating. Nobody knows anything. He just says it again. And he talks about people failing upwards, like yeah. executive producers will have like gilded screenplays in their bookshelf that all won Academy Awards and it's his film. you know, after all the work that went in by all the multitudes of people. And to that end, I'm kind of wondering, how are people in your position treated? I'm under the impression, like I've seen, you know, the big picture and I saw, what was the other one? The player. I have this vision of folks like you who actually do the grunt work, who show up and like swing hammers, who don't sit in a trailer all day painting their toenails and come out for five minutes to do a scene and then pop back in. Like, are you guys treated well? Depends on the artist. It's a massive spectrum. I haven't really had any too too many professional problems, but I know other people here have, so I wouldn't discount that. But um, there's horrible people in this industry. But like I've been in businesses that are you know of five hundred to thousand yeah. people, right? Maybe what you're asking is, is there a higher percentage of horrible people in film, you know, than say at you know Apple? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Hollywood is also like the island of misfit toys. I feel like it is this odd collection of the most random assortment of people who have all these varying different backgrounds and are all thrown together to have this common goal of creating this project. And everyone has different experiences, different opinions, different levels of ego, different levels of skill, different budgets between each department. Like it just, it, it's a little bit of a recipe for chaos. And it is definitely the production's job to sort through that chaos and make that chaos work in their favor. Yeah, I don't think um, I've ever been on a single project that went 100% smoothly. But the creative process I don't think doesn't it go exists. smoothly. Yeah. I mean, even the individual creative process doesn't go smoothly. So how, I mean, kind of almost circling back to Luca's point, I mean, I understand why people disagree with it, but I also understand why he makes the point of like, within yourself, within your own ability to create artwork, you're working, you know, you might get 60% through and throw half of it out. Now you do that on a film and it just, it's affecting so many different people. If it's a single person working on a single piece of art, you know why you're doing it. But most times what happens is on a film, that's not communicated. Information that you have as an individual when making those decisions does not get communicated throughout the entire ranks, which starts to sow dissension, which it ultimately comes back to leadership. Most of the time people actually can't lead and then they start gatekeeping information, which just frustrates people down the line. So it's, it's just on an individual basis, a person can tolerate what it takes to make a piece of artwork. On a company basis, it just becomes complicated because the act of creation is itself complicated. Okay, so I have a question about that. So you're all artists. Um... I do, I do a lot of writing and I have a writing group and sometimes I get frustrated because they start talking about the craft of writing and the this is and the that's and the business and all this shit. And, and it's like, I kind of want to shout like, for Christ's sakes, folks, we're artists and we're having, we're, you know, we're going and we're sitting down with a blank page and we're having these sort of quasi spiritual experiences writing cool shit. And I regard you guys very much as artists. And I feel like the idea, the notion of the, someone as an artist gets lost in industry that it's just like, here's this thing, here's this costume, here's the design this pocket and I've seen people like you work and I know you're incredibly talented creative artists who have a spiritual expression in your stuff and have a vision and how does that 
how does your creative vision peek through all the quote unquote craft and the rules and regs that you have to follow? How do you feel as artists? How do you, I, I don't know how to ask I mean, I can say that <laughs> when it comes to egos and like what we want to attach to our art, like for me, I've learned to stay completely detached from the design or the direction that's coming at me. And the only thing I attach my ego to is how the image looks. If I'm proud of the image, then I'm happy. Like, I don't care like what these pockets look like or what this or what that looks like. If I made it look good, then I'm happy. And I guess if you actually look what we do, we're actually production artists in this sense, when we do this job for film, meaning I'll be working on a thing and I'll disagree with uh, like most of the choices that I'm actually working on, actively trying to make look, look good. At the end of the day, we're, when we're doing production art, we're a lot more technician than, say, um, expression. Meaning when I get to do my own work and I'm actually trying to communicate a message or something that I think is is uh, important to myself, to society, whatever it might be, rather than, hey, we have this scene and we need this guy doing this thing. At that point, we're much more technicians where we're talking about the, the technique and what you're kind of saying about the craft, right? Uh, the craft of writing is, is, is very much similar to what we're doing. We're just doing it in a visual one-shot piece. But we have the same tools. And our tools as an artist is contrast, value, color, mark making, uh, composition. We have these tools in our tool belt that we utilize to communicate an effect. And whether this scene should feel peaceful or whether it should feel violent. But at that point, we're much more technicians of our craft in order to fulfill the need of the client. The art that we make essentially is a tool for people down the pipeline to use later. But so how do you guys get your rocks off as artists? You know, like you've got all this skill, like there's more skill on the screen in front of me than I wouldn't even know how to quantify it. How do you guys get, you know, get your jollies out there? You know, like you got to, you do this stuff for money, but you're good at what you do. I've, you know, I've seen the work that you guys do and it's really freaking good. You're at the top of your game. What gives guys? That's the hardest part of this job is that I think I could probably point to each of us and say, we each get something else from this job. Each gives us a different kind of joy. And that's honestly the hardest part is what are you looking to get from this job? And is it a sustainable thing? Because I can tell you, Imogene is always going, like you just said, Imogene, you care about the final image. You don't care about the pockets. That's how you're able to navigate the chaos of our job. Where I struggle sometimes is that I really care about the design, which is tricky because that line is kind of drawn in the sand sometimes where it's sometimes our job to participate in that process. Other times it's not. Some people don't care about the design, don't care about the artwork, but they care about if the project is a success. There's other people who, if they're learning a new thing, if they're doing a new kind of costume they've never done before, it's the learning on each project that they take away from. So it, it's vastly different for each person. But do any of you actually do art on your own time? I do physical sculpture. I do... I don't know, like just like getting into some psychology really quickly. I had to fight my PhD father from a very young age to be able to do artwork. He, you know, mathematician, quantum physicist, and he thought that art was a waste of time. And he let me know from the moment I could actually like be cognizant of words. And so I fought him from a very young age. And I carry that with me into every job in the sense that I will not let these motherfuckers win. Like they, they can do all the shit they want all day. But like, I'm going to get my shit off at some point. And it's like, it's not in the job. It's in my personal work. 
I don't do that. Like I start to feel antsy because I'm like literally creating all day, but I'm not creating all day. It's just like it's pissing into the wind. So I have to get like I have to create for myself or else I'll go crazy because this is it doesn't crash the inch that drove probably most of us here to this job. Raph is the best at this. Raph does so much beautiful work. Go on his Instagram and you will see I would say 90% of the stuff you post online has nothing to even do with productions. It's all of, I don't even know how to quantify like the pop culture things that you do. It, it's basically just all personal artwork and it all has a, a really unique raff feeling to it. I know that's not going to make any sense, but in addition to that, you also do these beautiful, what you guys can't see listening to this is in the background behind Raph on a shelf, he has several beautiful clay portraits, sculptures of bodies, head to toe, figure studies, and they're all stunning. Like Raph, more than anyone else that I can at least say in this Zoom, works incredibly hard outside of his job, honing his craft with his own personal. It's called having no kids. Yeah, well... Originally, what I was going to do with Imogene and Felix and their friend Lev, a cartoonist, was I was going to talk about the sort of the middle road of art, which is, you know, you've got to bend a little to make money. You can't just be the, you know, poet on the corner with wearing a robe, (laughs) you know, being some kind of sage and you can't be that. And so I really I think that artists that do what you guys are doing are really unseen by our culture, which is sort of odd to me. Like you are the artists who are making it like Michelangelo did sculpture for money he did and when they stopped paying him he stopped making the sculptures you know it was (laughs) um of it that way but no it's true it's an actual truth like you see all those unfinished sculptures it's because they stopped paying his ass i love that so much so uh, i guess i'm gonna get into go back to the beginning i guess which is that i I guess i am curious about your individual journeys of like hey i want to be an artist but i'm gonna do it in a way that i can actually thrive and i love really love Raphael's sort of origin story does anyone else have an origin story like that battling the the fierce boss phd for for (laughs) For me personally i went to uh, the rhode island school of design and basically had that typical college experience where i was partying more than i was learning anything and basically had a moment of saying this isn't worth the effort i'm putting into it so i i left school and Mm -hmm. My grade generated a lot of really amazing, what I think would be classically considered artists. They all do from a place of passion. It all starts with the artwork and then they find a way to sell it or monetize it somehow after it's created. Uh, That's a generalization. But when I got into film and television through the way of being a PA for several years and moving to Georgia Mm -hmm. and doing a bunch of different things, um, like I said earlier, a lot of my friends from college saw my career as selling out. They saw me selling my soul to corporations. And to, to a certain extent, you do sell a little bit of your, your sanity and your soul when you work in this industry. But I love what I do and I love the work that I create, but traditionally a a lot of my friends from school look down on my career because they don't see it as, I think they see the process a little bit more as artwork, but Mm -hmm. being part of these commercial projects and working with these studios to them, I'm not really like a traditional artist or an artist in their eyes. Yeah. And that's such bullshit. (laughs) it is such bullshit you are definitely i started out wanting to be a fashion designer believe it or not when i was in elementary school 
the only thing I would sketch were people in clothing. And so I thought, okay, maybe I should be a fashion designer. And so I geared high school and applied for colleges that would lead me towards that career path. But I was also a huge fan of movies and TV. So I eventually connected the dots that a costume designer was also a career path. And that seemed to fit so much better for what I was interested in. So as a, as a, as a writer, like I had this whole thing about, I felt I was a fat guy, I had no social skills. So a lot of my writing is about the kind of social constructs and feeling objectified and all that shit. Do you guys feel like you have a sort of message as an artist, any of you, like a, a sort of That's a, a theme? Good question. I like telling stories that end terribly <laughs> of these kinds of like, I'm, I'm always curious about stories that don't end well because I think we see so much of stories that have a good meaning and a great ending and life is not that. Life has no real real meaning to me and like things just happen because they happen. And I've written down some stories that I want to develop that and the, my first book that I'm working on is a story that just is real, it's so real that it's like, wh why am I watching this? I have this movie that I want to work on that all these crazy things happen and at the end, you realize that the premise of the movie, the, the beginning of the movie, that it was not there. There was no need for all this thing to this trouble. And you don't even get an ending. And, <laughs> and, and I want the reaction to be like, what the hell happened? In the storytelling part of my art, I guess I'm curious to see what happens when you disappoint people and when something is just not a good ending, like what happens in life. I'm kind of curious to that, the dark side of the stories. And I'm kind of sick to see always the hero winning and the fake villain winning for a bit but you know the wave of the story you know what's going to happen the third act the hero's going to rise mm -hmm. again and win at the end what if the hero just loses the beginning of the movie and the rest of the movie is just miserable because the villain has won and now the world is dark i once heard that if you make somebody love something and you make somebody hate something it strikes the same emotion so i feel like if luca starts making things that really piss people off People will talk about it as much as people talk about movies that they love. So congratulations, Luca. I think you're, you're on to something. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Anyone else, Raphael? What's your message? I'm, just, I'm laughing because I'm thinking about something Luca said. It's like, oh, it's just going to be somebody bent over. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely a team in his culture that we noticed. It's, so. it's either a pop culture reference or <laughs> someone bound and bent over. Yeah. No, they're not bound. The bound one is, hasn't been shown yet. I think it's whatever I'm interested in at the moment, which is like, I did, I started this yoga series because I was really into yoga and I do a lot of pop culture stuff that kind of reflects like, you know, rap, hip hop stuff because I really enjoy that. I think it's just whatever I'm into at the moment. Uh, Imogene or Luca or? Well, I do not do personal artwork at the moment and I have not in a very long time. But I actually am motivated by sort of participating in something that's part of the bigger picture. I like the idea of the fact that what I'm doing is going to eventually be something that's on screen and that I am part of this huge machine. Something that makes me happy sometimes, it happened today, actually. Like I was walking behind somebody when I was picking up some food and I saw a poster for Glass Onion, the Knives Out sequel. And I was just sort of would think to myself, like, oh, my God, that person in front of me has no idea that the person behind them was involved in that poster. <laughs> and I'll, I'll take you back off that. I think a good analogy for this, and it's something that, that I didn't come up with this, but if you really think about art, there's a big difference between like surfing and sailing. And, you know, when you're surfing, it's you. It's you doing your art. It's you doing what it is. 
Um, but sometimes in order to do something bigger than yourself, it requires a team to do. And I think that's maybe where I know for myself, I've been doing this for a while. And I feel like now I'm getting to that point where I need to surf a lot more and I really need to, you know, get my rocks off seeing, you know, some huge, massive project come out, you know, had 500 people working on it and you were a very, very, fairly significant cog in that. So I, I think that's, that's what we get to is it's two different types of art going back to, you know, production art versus maybe fine art. And I very much love both. I love actually being a, doing team functional art. I mean, that's essentially what we do where we're doing team art. You know, there's not just one voice doing this stuff. It, it's not that we get notes. It's, it's we're also bouncing things off of each other. You know, when we're in a room, in a production room and, and we're all, you know, oh, what did you do? Oh, shoot. Damn, that's awesome. That's right. Luca just came with it. You know, oh, shit, I got to step up my game now. I think we enjoy that sometimes too much because, you know, it's that thing. What it, What is it? The, the, the shoemaker that has no shoes. I mean, we end up doing a lot of hours. I know I, I'm on kind of a, a break right now and am re, refining going back to the studio and going back to traditional paint. Um, you really have to find that time to explore, develop your thoughts, develop your ideas. Me taking more time when stepping away from film is helping me to discover that oh, in a much geez. more um, poignant way. Um, <laughs> can we rip on AI for a minute? Please. Fuck. All right. So can we rip on AI? You can rip on me because I'm gonna I'm gonna be the bad guy here just for fun. So I think AI is really cool. <laughs> Uh, I think that it's really neat that I can, like you saw the one with the, did you see the language one that came out yesterday? That can like write short yeah, stories and, the one and the like students writing essays. Yeah, and, I can write AI code and like it's going to get rid of. The only way Hollywood will do anything so, is if it pisses off the writers or endangers their jobs. So I'm here, for, I'm here for it because maybe it'll by <laughs> consequence save my job too. <laughs> I, I So I'm curious like what, you guys think AI is theft? I'm assuming you believe I that? Think if people really think that that tool or that software is actually learning and creating from scratch a blank piece of paper, that's not. We just know that it's not. It's picking from, what, like 5 billion images at least that they could track. And these images, they are on the web, uh -huh. but they're made by other artists and photographers. So stealing, yeah, if you grab it as an, as an artist, you will never think about going to somebody or somebody else's website grab their images they worked on, blend them together with another image and call it yours. And an artist that can call himself an artist, he would never do that. I would never be able to live with himself doing it. And you know that software is doing it. And now he's just removing the guilt. So you don't have to physically go and grab that stuff. The software is doing it for you. So you feel justified. I, I had the, this analogy. It's kind of like Queen War before, you know, you, you had the swords and you had to actually physically kill the person. Now there's drone strikes where you click a button and you're so far removed from the act of killing that you can see if you read some books about war, you get so much desensitized now by war and killing because you're just clicking a button, you're not really doing it yourself. And I feel the, it's analogy, there's an analogy there. We're like, oh, I'm just clicking a button. The computer is going to steal. I'm not stealing. It's still, still stealing through the software. <laughs> that, that's a dark analogy, yeah. but I hear well, it. You can see a um, team in my art. <laughs> uh, I guess what I don't understand is because they have filters on it that you can block. They can clearly stop you from doing things. I don't know why I can't put my name into their block list. Pretty, 
freaking easy, but they really want to be able to grab it. And I'm wondering like the estates of like more famous artists that like Norman Rockwell, like they got lawyers. And, you know, at a certain point, if the technology exists, there's a way to not do it as well. And I, I prefer the opt-in because does it bother everybody that when you go to a website, it asks you to opt-in to get cookies? Why don't they just say, if you want to opt-in, click this button? Why do I have to go and click all the check marks? It's the to same opt thing. Out, I want to opt-in. Yeah, opt-out, right. Exactly. Yeah. Why do I have to opt-out? Why Why can't I just – why can't you ask me if I want to opt-in? Why do I have to stop yeah. you from stealing stuff? So how do you feel when you guys look at an AI image that's really pretty cool? Do you feel like conflicted, like, wow, that's a really cool, but fuck that? I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, essentially it's, it's, it's very, well, it's not like AI is just trash. Like I don't feel any other way about it, but yes, there's undeniably cool AI images out there that if they had been done by a real person, I would be like, wow, that's awesome. Well, they are, hold on a second, they are done okay. by a real person. That's why they're cool. They're coming from real people's it's artwork. It's cool because it's, it's stealing from cool artwork. That's why it's cool, you know? How does it know which artwork to steal from? From what I can genuinely understand about it, because it's complicated, is that it's just kind of open sourcing, scanning the internet and taking every image it possibly can. And beyond that, associating tag words with each piece of work. So that when prompts are put into different programs, it pulls pieces from each of, it's basically like hashtagging your artwork. It, it generates art, uh, words associated with the image that then compiles it. The software, I mean, itself is very cool and smart because you can actually apply those hashtags and those marks to your image. If you're inputting, I want something red, a red sky, it doesn't necessarily go grab images that are tagged as red sky, you can recognize the color red and the uh, form of a sky in an image and go grab that. So let's say you want to opt out from like, don't use Luca Nemolato's artwork for AI. That's actually not possible because it will grab my artwork specifically if you input my name in it, but it might do it the same way because my artwork is not just tagged always in my name. It might be all around the, the web with different names and with no tags, and it can still be grabbed just because the software is very smart and can recognize theme, perspective in it, colors. The software itself can break down an image, kind of like what Pinterest does. You, know, you don't have to tag the color red in Pinterest to get red images. The software is smart enough to recognize that. But I guess some of the most egregious stuff that we've seen is obviously when people are typing in somebody else's name uh -huh. to create more artwork yeah. that's in the vein of that person. Like, make me another David Hockney or Picasso. Like kind of the most egregious stuff that you're seeing. Yeah. Or, I mean, for instance, uh, right now the big one, at least I saw it pop through my feed, was like Wes Anderson, Star Wars. Or, oh. But in the, in the style of Wes Anderson, I believe is the prompt right. that all of these people are. So I'm going to ask a, sort of a more dangerous question do you think that ai will replace we're folks seeing like it you? already like oh, for example ben the san francisco ballet used mid-journey to create their promotional materials for the nutcracker which was somebody's job back in the day and luckily people have cat are catching on to it and shitting on them a lot but you have this institution that supposedly celebrates traditional arts. They're trying to keep people interested in this dying form of art that is ballet. But yet here they are screwing over human artists. Killing yeah. another art form, yeah. No, I find it interesting because yeah. even though we are in this room 
paid well. In terms of what we actually contribute to, we're not. We are working class. What automation in general stands to do is decimate the working class. It's absolutely what it is. And it's the, the, the thing I find most egregious about it is that the people that use this and claim that they're artists, their actual art, the art that they should be doing because they're just typing, is writing. But writing is fucking hard. So of course they don't even have the heart to do that. They're they're essentially doing a Google image search times, you know, to, to like the, the craziest decimal point and calling whatever that image that they find their own art because of the train of thought that got them there. And it's like, okay, you could be an artist if you actually wrote that train of thought into an interesting thing, but you're a fucking hack because you can't write. And so you're relying on this this software, which software is incredible. It's it's or the, the algorithm is incredible. For me, it's like this is starting to become like a, a argument of like religion and guns. I think religion and guns are too dangerous for people to have. I think this level of algorithm too dangerous for people to have. We as a collective are not capable of handling things that contain great power and great destruction. And now you're giving it to every jackass with a gun in a country that just does not appreciate art. Part of the reason that we're feeling this frustration is because the process, nobody cares about us. Like they care about what we deliver, but they don't care about the actual soul of art. And, you know, I was just yeah. over the summer and it's like, I'm not saying Italy is perfect. What I'm saying is you can, you can feel the difference in between a place that appreciates art versus one that thinks simply treats it as McDonald's. And AI is going to further the McDonaldification of art because I can get right. a 99 cent piece of artwork. It's just flooding the market. So everybody's special, quote unquote, nobody's special. Yeah, it really is. McDonald's nailed it. There's so much emotion attached to it by people, especially non-artists using this app. Like now they feel like artists. They feel like it. And yeah. they, they're feeling all these emotions from these images that they're creating, but they're unwilling to acknowledge that feelings do not often measure up to reality it's, it's yes. almost impossible to argue with it and that's one of the most frustrating parts for me and it's like you no. know it's honestly it's like a huge issue in society kind of all over the place like you have your feelings you have reality most of the time it's two different things it's also that instant gratification that has become a it's the microwave generation it's a huge issue at, at the core of this sometimes it's about ai sometimes it's about art Sometimes it's about all these larger things, but honestly, I feel like the era of social media, the era of instant gratification, and the reason why we have such a reaction to it is we've spent our entire lives, every minute, every second of every day, turning our life experiences into art and being able to better our skill and hone our craft to generate artwork that once we put all this time and effort and energy into it, we feel that boost of serotonin. That's like, you did a good job. You created something beautiful and put it out into the world. These people can jump on an app, hit a couple buttons, and experience that same feeling that we have spent our entire lives dedicated to working on achieving. So it's that instant gratification that they've been able to cut through that entire process. And it's like Imogene's saying, that's what's creating such a visceral response to this. And Talking about going back to what Raf was saying about people not caring about artists, I've had genuine fights with people who I considered friends and also people who are acquaintances online using these AI apps to generate profile pictures on Instagram. And I'm like, you, 
a friend of mine who's a drag queen reaching out to her and going, hey, you put so much time and effort into your drag, learning about fashion, manufacturing your costumes, figuring out your silhouette, your hair, your makeup, then learning choreography, learning to sing or put on a performance. That amount of energy you put into your craft is the same amount that I put into my artwork and you are devaluing my artwork by using this app in such a simple, innocuous way. And the response to that kind of an argument has been wild to me of just what feels like a lack of caring for artists at all, where it's just like, well, this doesn't affect my art form. Yours might be in trouble, but whoops. And you're like, it's like the San Francisco ballet trying to prop up the the art of potentially, some would say, a dying craft like ballet by shooting another art form in the face is kind of wild to me. I don't know if people genuinely care outside of their own bubbles anymore. No, they do not. Is this another thing like back in the day, kind of like when everybody was downloading music and they were just like, fuck the artist, I just want to download my music. They're comparing the two for sure. Is it the same? We're having that same argument again, right? It's just now, it's just grabbing from almost anonymously people. Like a lot of times you can't tell what they're grabbing from unless you spot it versus like, I'm going to go play. So it's harder to get to get a lawsuit together because how do you prove what was stolen? Well, there is instances where you can. There is, uh, we have tried in this room even to get on a Zoom to, and myself, I can talk to my, about myself. I generated some images to try to make a point about this. And like, because people were afraid can be used as concept art to create designs for movies. So we're like, okay, let's try it out. So we tried character inputting, character design. I think this was on Mid Journey, but I tried a couple of those uh, concept arts for a movie, a, a costume design inspired by, I don't know, Masters of the Universe, sci-fi, to see what it will come up with. Because of the, imp- the inputs I was putting in, it was actually going to grab concept art around the web. So my results were actually a bunch of concept arts lapped together where also the signs of the artists were slapped together. And you could kind of see the names overlapping, the signatures basically overlapping of the original artists. So we are lucky enough that like we do sign our work a lot. So this this sign kind of comes through when they use these images. Um, it's harder to see when they use photographs. They, you know, people artists don't sign or illustrations in general, people don't sign it directly on top of the image. Like I've told myself about putting the sign right next to the subject of my painting. So that when they grab it, you'll see some letters in there and you'll be able to recognize it. Uh, also, I wanted to make a point, guys, is that I, I should kind of two points because I love what Ralph said. And I also hear people's reaction to our defensiveness about AI and how much we're defending it and how much we're against it. And their reaction is like they see us as like, oh, we're, you're just complainers. Because basically, if you think about it, art is not democratic. It's just a few people can do art, and the most most people in society can and are not artistic. They cannot do art, and I feel for them because to me it will feel like torture if you can't express yourself visually like that. I don't know another life where I won't be able to draw and push these ideas out of my mind and put them on paper, and it will feel like torture. So I guess people are seeing it as now art can be democratic and everybody can do it. But you're not doing art if you're using my body work and my skills that I put out there. Unless the software really is intelligent to the point, because they call it artificial intelligence, but it's not really that. To me, an intelligent is somebody that can learn on its own, that can think on its own. This is not an artificial intelligence, really. 
in the future, we will get to the point where they will actually have AI, an intelligence in a computer that can actually learn, can actually access the web, all information. And at that point, it will be this AI will be able to create from scratch and from a blank piece of paper. And at that point, we'll have to treat the AI as a person, even if he's, in, if he's a digital person. Because at that point, that AI is actually thinking, learning, and living. And if it gets to that point, I'm all for it. If that becomes a better artist, I'm willing to merge with the computer at that point because it will be a better version of us. It will be able to think faster than us, access to more information, and learn faster than us. At that point, that's, we will really be done. As, but as human in general, because if it gets to the point where something is really intelligent and learns in a computer, every aspect of our lives will be done, not just art. This person, this digital person will be so much better than us that we will either go instinct or we merge with them. And I, I will propose at that point, let's merge with them. But let's not talk about this AI now as an intelligence because it's just a cool software that can do some cool thing. But it's not really smart. You have to, it still is a human. It, it has limited, it, it, it's a code, you know, it's not, uh, and it's not evolving without human. I was going to say, Luca, going to your earlier point where you were talking about like artwork becoming more democratic, there was a comment that I think I posted in one of our group chats. Yes, I know this. That blew my mind and has to this day still remained burned into my memory, which is in, in a conversation about the efficacy of AI. Someone said, why should expression be blocked behind a wall of skill? And, <laughs> and that has just oh not been able to be dislodged from my brain. And it's this argument oh my that God. like, I, I still can't even put words to why that makes my brain hurt. But it's it's because it's it's a, it's contradictory in terms. It's like it's like in severance, you know, the sign that says United, we stand in severance. Mm. Remember that? It's it's just like yep. it, 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 skill is expression (laughs) you know skill is expression when you get good at your you know i don't know if you've ever guys ever read the thing by ira glass who talks about how you know you get good at something is that you start off being shitty at it but you have killer taste you've got really good taste and it takes you about two years to actually be able to express yourself and to express the the cool thing that you have in your heart you know and there's it's like the wall is it's so dumb. Yes, it's, I would strangle that person if I could. Basically, it's interesting because it puts you into their mind, or that person's mind frame, which is a lot of people's mind frame right now, which is why should expression be blocked behind a wall of skill, which means if I can't express myself well, I'm not going to. It's, it's a quintessential thing of an artist, which is we tried and failed millions of times and a lot of people say i know i'm not good so i'm not going to even try and it's like if you want to express yourself express yourself if you want to make artwork make artwork but you have to spend the time to learn how to get where we are today because that's what we did but this whole idea of i can't express if i'm not good is bullshit that's why it's blocked behind the wall of skill is you're not willing to try to put that time. Also, in. that's just some horseshit because the real reason that they want this is so they can get that serotonin hit of sharing their artwork and getting the 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 likes and the admiration. We all of us started doing art before there was any social media. So you sat with the struggle, you could sit with the with the frustration, you could sit with just like the problem solving. These people aren't doing anything. So they say this whole, like, what I've noticed with these AI, AI people is, like, they can't speak directly to the theft of the algorithm, 
because they'll lose. So then they pivot and they start turning it into, oh, well, I just want to be able to express. And oh, what about these philosophical ideas and blah, 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 blah. So they start going into this esoteric place because they can't handle the real. And so then when they get to this esoteric place, it's like, okay, well, you're doing this. And now all of a sudden you have thousands of followers on Instagram. You know, it's, it's not about the art. It is about the cheapening of it by chasing uh-huh. the fucking likes. And you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get those, you know, you gotta get daddy Zuck his money. <laughs> daddy Zuck. <laughs> well, it just, it plays perfectly into today's societal values, right? Like everyone wants to get praise, attention, and success with little to no cost uh, or effort. And it's like absolutely perfect. Like the people who designed the Lenza app are brilliant. They're genius. They're fuck the genius who, because br- it feeds it's into like the, the participation awards. societal <laughs> narcissism. Like, okay, I'm going to, pretty picture of myself yay everyone tell me how beautiful i look like it's brilliant mm-hmm. yeah imagine that's a great yeah. example yeah it is. The, the real drawback to to a lot of this is that i think there will always be a place for us to draw and paint look somebody's got to explain you can't just talk your way through a full design process and fabrication process within film you can't just talk your way through a lot of this stuff and at the end of the day too a lot of times you know, somebody's got to get in there and if they're doing more fine art or speaking towards humanity, there's a certain point where there will always be, cream will always rise to the top. I feel like what we're really going to see out of this is the jobs that I use to get to where I am are going to be gone because that's that's really what's going to happen is the places where we cut our teeth, those jobs that they can just outsource to AI, you know, for instance, and I, and I don't know, but I'm pretty sure after seeing the, the lens of stuff and stuff like that, like watching the NFL, they do all these cartoons of, of the guys that those would have been jobs. That would have been somebody's job to turn these caricatures. Mm-hmm. And now they're just taking photos of these guys and doing this, you know, applying AI to it. So those jobs were the job I would get. And they probably didn't pay a lot, you know, the, but those are the jobs that are going to be gone. Those editorials, when you're looking through a magazine at spot illustrations, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, this thing is going to stunt an entire generation of artists. It's going to wipe out the entire entry-level ability, all of those jobs, just like Jace is talking about, where it will just be the the last generation of artists if they're not adding new artists to this industry because those jobs have been relate, replaced by AI and people cheapening of the artwork to be able to have a quick result on those earlier jobs and they're not hiring new artists it's it's going to kneecap our industry and so many it's wild it's so interesting but even professions in general because if you think about it it gives them a way of also negotiating against us be like i don't need you anymore i can just go go get, go do some ai stuff so you you better lower your rates so otherwise you can compete because yeah it's true we can't compete with a machine we are humans and we are slower uh, but we also create something from scratch that is unique that will be the only advantage we have. But I, I totally agree with like what Raph was saying about the McDonaldization of it, of art. And also what Imogen was saying, like it really reflects what society, especially American societies nowadays, but Western societies in general, where you can even see in school in this country, I was talking to a teacher and like, they're not even, they can't even give bad grades anymore. Everybody gets a trophy. So this is basically, everybody gets to be an artist. Everybody needs to, everybody's beautiful. Everybody's fantastic. Everybody can draw. We're really dooming our society because that's not true. We're just ignoring reality. And this AI is really, is really screwing us philosophically because now 
every, now it's kind of like backing up their idea of like everybody can be an artist. Well, luckily, uh, I think, you know, the earth is heating up anyway, so there's not going to be much artist left. <laughs> 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 I, I think there is going to be one. Rass is over here just praying for the meteor. My guess would be fine art. The people, the stuff, the art that, that people actually create, the, the ability that all of us in this room have, I think is going to be in more demand. I think it's going to be like the food scene. You know, you had so much shitty food in America because, you know, it, and, and then all of a sudden, San Francisco, New York. Yeah, it'd be like couture fashion, you know, like like you know no. mass-produced clothes now yeah. like there was a time when every piece of cloth was cloth clothing was couture you know <laughs> so okay um that was fascinating I, that almost i almost want to make the whole thing just on that i kind of want to wrap on talking about uh, something fun i uh, sent a trailer to imaging a week ago uh for the new movie cocaine bear yes. that's coming out about a bear that does like three kilos of cocaine and loses its shit on a small town somewhere in the middle of the woods. And yeah. I just think that's amazing. And let's discuss it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the trailer. It's the, one of the best things I've seen so far. It's fantastic. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. Like at that point, let's go full crazy, you know? Kind of like mm -hmm. with the Transformers, when like, okay, it's a robot riding a dinosaur, wielding a sword. And yeah, there's a volcano yeah. behind. Well, yeah, is that what we're talking about? I mean, it's essentially Jaws, except he did some coke before he went after it's everybody. Sharknado, it's Sharknado, really. It's Sharknado yeah. for bears. It's amazing. I initially, when I heard that trailer, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be some like true to life documentary about these poor kids in the woods who get mauled by a bear or something, and they're having to be like." But when I saw that trailer and realized how ridiculous of like a comedy this was going to be. I got on board so fast. I am just so excited for this movie. This is keeping me going through all of the AI yeah. chaos is cocaine bear. <laughs> I thought it was actually based on a real story it, and that it is. Am I right? This is not a this is not it's a horror or a, it's a you know Yeah, no it is. Whatever. I just thought it was gonna be like a true like gritty drama. They're crying, you know. Did that I mean that happened? So a, a, a bear had a bunch of cocaine Apparently. and lost its shit on people? Like, like that's that. a thing. There's not much funny about that except for the bear doing some coke first. <laughs> well, seeing an addicted a cocaine addicted bear is kind of funny because there is some scene where he's like sniffing the cocaine from like a, somebody's clothes. See, that's right, it's, fantastic. It's, the, fantastic. it's the when he catches them apart that we start going, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, you're like, oh, this isn't funny anymore. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's, that, it's like in Revenant, you know, like if you watch that scene in Revenant when their bear gets yeah. him and you're like, man, he's really, yeah. it's like that part. Right? Let's, it's just you don't get the funny part of the cocaine, the cocaine part. Yeah. Because that's the funny part. Until it, then it gets real, <laughs> real quickly. But my favorite part is when they're up in the tree yeah, and they go, don't great. worry, bears can't climb trees. <laughs> <laughs> the bear gallops up yeah. the tree. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, I think, I think I'm think i Are you guys good? Yeah. Thank um, you, ben. So Imogene, Luca, Raphael, Greg, and Jason, thank you so much. You were amazing. And we should do thank this again soon. Us. Thank you for listening. Please check out everyone's profile in the program notes. We have their Instagrams up. Please give them a follow. Check out their amazing art. Feel free to email me with any questions, topic recommendations, or just wish to be a guest on my show. You can email me at benjaminrusick at gmail.com or check out my website at benjaminrusick.com. Thank you again, folks. See you next time.